Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie. And I want to take a quick moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Valga, Jeff Woodman, Phil Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, and if you do sign up, you get like a, a weekly rundown of just what I'm watching that week. So everything else that people ask me about what I'm viewing, that will be on the Patreon. Um, but I have a returning guest today. I have a very familiar voice on the podcast. I've got Scott. Say hi, Scott. Hi. I, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's I'm back, but it's Christmas. It's Come Christmas. On. Yeah. It's like that weird in between, in between, sorry, Christmas time. Um, you know, almost upon the new year. In fact, the new year may have happened by the time you hear this, but you know, it's, it's, it's the holidays. Uh, so, so Scott, if people have not heard your voice on the podcast before, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Well, I'm Scott McClellan and I am a co-founder and co-host of the DC Squawcast over at Squawcast Media, where we primarily talk about just DC comics rated media, you know, TV, movies, comics, you know, we even did an episode recently about an audio drama that is on HBO oh, nice. Max. So it's like, yes, the Batman, the audio adventures we did. So and we do trailer reviews and movie reviews and all that kind of stuff. So if you're into DC Comics and, you know, in, in all the different multimedia forms, then, you know, check us out. Yes. Um, one of my favorite podcasts ever. So definitely check that Aww. out. <laughs> um, so. My guest always picks the movie. What what movie did you choose to talk about today? Well, I had to pick this one because it actually, you know, I've made a point about every time I come on your show, I've, I got like, I got to do something different. You know, I got to check a different box. And then this movie that we're talking about today checks three boxes. Mm. So it's a Christmas movie. It's a fantasy movie. And it's a movie that came out this year, which I've never done something that recent on the show. Before. I know. So, I was going to say that's kind of rare in general, but there have been a few episodes that have been current movies. So, yeah. So we will be talking about the A24 release from David Lowry this year, The Green Knight, which coincidentally made it into my top three of 2021 movies this year. That's understandable. This is a great film, and I'm very, very excited to talk about it. Um, I do want to let my listeners know, if they haven't heard one of these episodes before, I don't do like a spoiler-free and then a spoiler-filled. We're just going to talk about the whole movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, I believe you can watch it right now on Netflix. So go. Really? Is I it think, on Netflix? I think so. Um, I might uh, be I'll lying. tell you when I, I I'll tell <laughs> you this though, up. right now, last time I checked, 
it was nine ninety nine on iTunes. Well, there you and, go. Um, it's worth ten, but it, it's worth more than ten bucks. Oh, <laughs> just go ahead and tell you that right now. Definitely. Uh, but go check that out, and then come back, and you know, join our discussion. But um, let me go ahead and give a really just brief synopsis, and then we'll kind of dive into some more fun stuff. Uh, so King Arthur's headstrong nephew embarks on a daring quest to confront the Green Knight, a mysterious giant who appears at Camelot. Risking his head, he sets off an epic adventure to prove himself before his family and the court. I, that's fair. Yeah, vague no enough to, to not actually say everything that happened, but we will talk about everything that happened. <laughs> oh my goodness. And and boy, did things happen in this movie? Yes. Or did they? Or did Question they? mark. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to discuss that because I, I have some questions about this film. Um, I've got a couple real fast facts I want to throw out there. Uh, one is that the crossroads with the skeleton in the hanging cage is very similar to the imagery in the film Willow. Uh, where Val Kilmer's character was briefly caged. And this is the inspiration for this film's adaption in part. Uh, the director, David Lowry, uh, was creating a willow diorama in his backyard, I, I believe. And and that's when he kind of thought about this film. That is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I, I like how he casually makes dioramas. I'm like, well... I want to see these actually. <laughs> I really do too. I yeah. really do. But that is amazing. I love Willow. Well, oh, I love that movie. <laughs> and and that just makes me love this this movie even more now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I read that and I was like, that's, I, you know, I like that when you hear what the, you know, inspiration was. And I think we'll probably talk more about different inspirations in the film, but I thought that was a good, a good little nugget. Um, another thing I had written down is that in the film, the Green Knight arrives on Christmas Day, but in the original poem, he actually arrives on New Year's Eve. That is correct. Yes, because I have read at least three different translations of really? the original poem. Okay, yes, I, I was going to ask you that. I felt like you, if anyone has done that, you would have. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I've, I've, I've gone on a bit of an Amazon spree. Like I, This was a highly anticipated movie for me going all the way back to when I first saw the first trailer uh, in December of 2019. I actually saw it before I was seeing another A24 movie when I saw Uncut Gems. The trailer oh, okay. for this movie played in front of that Yeah, movie. that's right. But it, it was like delayed, right? Because I mean, well, obviously, but... <laughs> well, no, and, and that's a really cool trivia fact that I have. Oh, okay, go for it. This movie was originally scheduled to come out in May of 2020. Really? Okay. Well, yes. It eventually, of course, came out July 30th, 2021. Mm -hmm. Well... David Lowry was editing this film while also in the middle for pre-production for Peter Pan and Wendy for Disney. Oh, I see. And it was scheduled to premiere at South by Southwest. Well, he was like at this breakneck editing. Like he was just editing it like, like a madman while also trying to do the pre-production. And then as he tells the story, there's this great conversation with him and Elijah Wood on the A24 podcast. Oh. And he tells the story of... Tom Hanks gets COVID. Ugh, the next day they cancel. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They were so and sick too. He and his wife were so sick, but they recovered, obviously. Obviously. And then the next day, South by Southwest gets canceled. Gosh. That was like and I feel like that's when we were all like, oh my gosh, even that's getting canceled. You know, we we're kind of like, maybe this is serious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and he said that even if it premiered, if it had premiered on time at South by Southwest, the movie still wouldn't have been finished. 
he would have been showing oh. an unfinished version at South by Southwest. Oh, so it would have been a risk, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, um, you know, he said, then you hear Fast and Furious and Bond get uh, delayed. And he was like, the writing was on the wall. So because the film got delayed, he took about a month off because, you know, pre-production basically shuts down for Peter Pan and Wendy. Yeah. He, he doesn't have to finish editing the film, you know, at the, at the breakneck speed that he was. And so he talked to, he talked to A24 and he wanted to polish up some visual effects. Mm. And when, and because he had about a month of like, of stepping away from the movie and then coming back to it, he said, you know what? Let me kind of look at this edit. And he said he unlocked real one. And he went, okay then. And that sort of opened the Pandora's box and he completely re-edited the movie. Wow. So we would have gotten a different film. I mean. Uh, we were getting a shorter film mm. because he talked about how he felt like this arbitrary pressure to make the movie under two hours. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> I know. And apparently he called it hate cutting. He was hate cutting the movie Ugh. to try for some arbitrary reason to make this movie under two hours. And it, it was going against his original intention of the film because apparently, because, you know, David Lowry wrote the screenplay for this movie as well. Mm -hmm. And apparently he, in his scripts, he describes how long shots are going to be mm. in his scripts. And he was going against that with, because he was just, he was just under this pressure because he was trying to bounce two movies at one time. Uh, his friends, after he did the new, when he finished the new edit said that the movie just meant more in this new edit. And he says he, that's about it. It made about a 10 minute runtime difference. Yeah. Yeah. I so was going to say it's only two hours and 10 minutes, but um you know, those 10 minutes are obviously pretty important. Yes. And and I've got at least one scene that was completely would have been completely cut. And we can talk about it as we talk oh, about cool, the film. Cool. Yeah. But but that was just I just love the idea of he, he talked about and, and I feel like we all have talked about during the pandemic is like we've all found little silver linings that have happened. You know, it's been this terrible, awful time, but there have been like. If you if you step back, you can look at well. This was a benefit. Like this allowed this to happen for sure. And, and David and David Lowry talks about how having the time to breathe and take another look at this movie has allowed it to be the movie that we saw. Wow. So I I would argue we actually have got to see a better version of the movie than mm -hmm. we would have if it stuck to schedule. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean. If everybody had um, the gift of time on their hands, right, <laughs> and didn't have to be under such pressure. And I think, you, you know, you hit on something when you were talking about the two-hour runtime. I mean, that's a heated kind of debate right now in film Twitter, you know, about how long should movies be? Do they need to be shorter nowadays? But there's been a lot of recent films that have really challenged that, um, thankfully. And thankfully. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm obviously on the side of doing what is the director's vision and not shortening movies for the sake of runtime. So I, I, I support that. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who watches, who only watches the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings films. There you so go. If that tells you anything. <laughs> that, that tells you something there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the last thing that I had was that the film avoids dating its setting. Uh, its technology is a little too advanced for the time of the historical King Arthur, who probably lived in the fifth or sixth century, but it appears to be set in the 14th or 15th century when the definitive Arthurian works were written. So 
those works are kind of updated, uh, you know, they updated Arthur to the present day and have been copied by most succeeding pop culture works about Arthur. Yes, but I also find it very interesting that this film has the iconography of the Arthurian legend, mm. but never spells it out, even in the credits. Oh. Like, I'm not sure if anyone's ever bothered to look at the credits, but the characters who you would assume are Arthur and Guinevere are only called king and queen the character who you can pretty much just you know slap across the face and say it's merlin is only called magician mm. like they don't even like even even gowan gawain however you want to pronounce his name i i the movie says gowan i tend to go with the pronunciation of gawain which is funny because it's still we're translating <laughs> sounds like it, wayne <laughs> i know right <laughs> but you know but but it, it even even his mother who is just called mother like Gawain is the only character from the actual Arthurian myth mm. that is named even in the credits. And I find that very interesting that Lowry was just like, you know what this is. You know, yeah. I don't ha Arthur hands him a sword. You know, that's Excalibur, but we're not going to say it. You just know it. And, and, and this film does so much of that sort of visual storytelling where it's like, I'm not going to explain this to you. Either you know it or you know it and just go with it. Yeah. And I also feel that especially the trailers really felt like they were like just to, to hear that, you know, he's inspired by Willow. That's not that surprising because it really felt like even though the movie feels very modern, it also feels sort of like an homage to like 80s, 90s and earlier like fantasy films, like something that we don't oh. do as often anymore that clearly oh, yeah, David Lowry 80s. misses. Oh, those 80s sword sorcery movies like Lady yeah. Hawk and Willow and yeah, what else? And I, and I feel like, you know, kind of like the last time I was on, we talked about the last Starfighter. Yeah. And there was that sense of there was sort of an Arthur myth underlaid That's in, right. in that in that story, even though it was a science fiction story. And but man, the 80s, oh, Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. 80s were like were were the heyday of sword sorcery movies for sure yeah and so it's it's really fun to see something that's an homage to that but also kind of refreshingly new and different um i like david lowry uh i'm a big fan of the movie you know a ghost story which i still need to see that. oh you should I, it you know this movie kind of unfairly got maligned because of some you know difficult stuff that happened with casey affleck not even necessarily related to the film but it's like when the movie came out, a lot of his skeletons came out of the closet again, and they actually overshadowed the film. Like a lot of reviews during that time really kind of kind of shit on the film. Um, and it's really ridiculous because I think in the end, it only hurt David Lowry and it didn't actually hurt Casey Affleck at all. But it was almost like he was a convenient person to go, let's blame him, even though he wasn't really connected that much to the <sighs> scandal. Well, I bought a ghost story on okay. iTunes. You should watch it. As soon oh oh, this movie, this movie single handedly made me go, David Lowry, I'm paying attention. Yeah. It's a like, really good like, film. And you know, I'm not gonna again, like it was sort of the timing of when it came out. Pete's Dragon, mm -hmm. I'm okay with. I, I think I'm I'm a little bit too in love with the original Pete's Dragon. Um, but but definitely a ghost story I enjoy. Well, that's, you know, that's fabulous. And and like I said, listening to that that conversation between him and Elijah Wood, I, I mean, 
I dig him as a person. Yeah, he's so on... young and and so new, you know. But it's like, uh, yeah, I like his vision. Sorry, what were you? Gonna yeah, say? <laughs> no, it's fine. He's, he's only two years older than I am, so you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like, it's like I, I, I get you. I, yeah. I really get you. Exactly, like a contemporary, pretty much. <laughs> oh, fun, fun fact! Something to look forward to. Actually, uh, he revealed this in that in, in that conversation as well. When you go to, if you go to watch Peter Pan and Wendy when it does eventually come out. Uh, the Green Knight's head will be attached to Captain Hook's ship. Question, is this Peter and Wendy version, is that the one where the focus is more on Wendy? I honestly do not know. Because I remember there was uh, a trailer a while back, and it was almost like, I don't know, it was, it was sort of making Peter seem like the bad guy. To be honest, the the I, I remember seeing the poster for that movie. Yeah. I haven't seen the trailer. I don't for know it. if it, it it might be called something else, or it might be called Wendy or something. But you know, I was kind of like, well, that's messed up. But at the same time, that was an interesting twist. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Because you can kind of see like a this... world where Peter taking Wendy away might be bad. So might <laughs> be bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think this this one is he he's back with disney again okay, okay i don't think disney would let would yeah they won't let anything something. happen to peter because he's you know important <laughs> exactly so yeah. but now it's like okay now i'm going to be looking for um the green knight's head yes like, just, <laughs> just because that is so cool yeah yeah that is really cool um do you want to talk a little bit about the cast well that is interesting because i've got to actually there's only about Four members of the cast I'm actually that familiar with. Okay, no, yeah, go for it. I, I mean, d I mean, and, and by familiar as in Dev Patel. Yeah, clearly. Frankly, I'm only aware of him from Slumdog Millionaire. Yes. Like, and someone had to point that out to me. Oh, like, really? That was <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love him he because so he was in Skins too, which I also watched. That's I think I, I think I saw Slumdog Millionaire and then I watched Skins because of it. I need I need to see Skins then because <laughs> I. He's really I, young, he, like really young in that movie. Well, he really impressed me. Oh, and he was in Lion too. Yeah, that was true. nominated for, for for an Oscar. I just haven't seen these movies. That's the thing. But but once again, anything and anyone attached to this movie is now like you're on my radar. Yeah, like yeah, he's he's. I don't know. I I guess because of Slumdog Millionaire, I just became like an insta fan of his. And then when I saw he was cast in this, and because I've seen him also on Skins and. A couple other places i was like oh I, I i really like him and i miss him and so when he was cast in this i was like this is a good choice he's got this sort of i don't know like regal air to him and mm -hmm. i just think he's like a good fit for this character he's also just in, i mean just the acting he does in this movie is just incredible yeah it feels and very like shakespearean it's it's good very much so. And then, of course, the next one up for me, of course, would be uh, Alicia Vikander. I mean, how can who, we not mention her? <laughs> I mean, <She's> honestly, awesome. <laughs> I will be honest. I only just saw Ex Machina this year. Oh, I love that like, movie. It is so, so good. good. Another A24 movie. Yep. Uh, I was so late to the game on that movie. It was it was it was embarrassing. Well, the the, <laughs> the the trailer isn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really tell you a lot about it. Um I think you get a different movie when you watch it than what you're expecting. Yeah, I, and I never saw the trailer. Oh. So that was interesting. I mean, the what what attracted me to Ex Machina was Alex Garland because yes. I saw Annihilation. Annihilation and I was amazing. like it is amazing. And so I was like, "Oh, and he did he did another movie?" Another sci-fi movie? 
And then, and then it, I waited just long enough that I knew who Alicia Vikander was. I, I got a better acquainted with who Oscar Isaac was. I was like, oh, I am so there. I loved her in Tomb Raider too. I'm sorry, but I will defend that movie. (laughs) That was the first time I saw her was in Tomb Raider. And I enjoy that movie immensely. No lie. I got to go to an advanced like fan screening before it was released to see that movie. And I really enjoy it. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I understand the critiques some people have. And I even agree with some of them. But I think overall it was a good film. And um, I saw Ex Machina because Nick is such a fan of uh, of Alex Garland because of his work on uh, Dread, and so I think I think he helped write yes. that. Yes, and so whenever he became like a director, he was like, "Oh, we we need to watch this because this is the guy that wrote." And it was just like, "Wow, you know, we had no idea how much of how much of a big fan we were going to be after that." So that's the only reason why I saw it early. I have to give the credit to Nick on that one. <laughs> Okay, so who else? Uh, Joel Edgerton, because he plays yeah. the, the Lord. Lord of the uh, the Lord of the Manor. Um, I he's just one of those guys. He's just one of those guys. Like he's like a solid character actor who just you, you sometimes you don't even know he's in the movie, but then he's in the movie and you're like, oh him, yeah, oh, I love him. I feel like him and like Sean Harris. Um, you know, they're the kind of people you call for this kind of a movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Sean because Sean Harris, I, honestly, for me, it was um, Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because he's because he, because he first shows up in Rogue Nation. And oh, then that's he, true. You know, and then he pops back up in Fallout, and he was so good as like a Bond villain in Mission Impossible. Yes, and, and but he's also been in other things, but one, but he's also one of those British it, uh, those guys. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if you've <laughs> seen something, some sort of British production, he's probably there with mm-hmm. with you know fifty other people in the movie that you go, I know you, I've seen you in things. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. But that's really kind of where my, I mean, Barry, well, Barry, Keegan, Barry, yeah. Barry Keegan's in it, but I wasn't even that familiar with Barry Keegan. Barry Keegan's kind of popped up name wise after I saw this movie. So it's, it's, I'm in this weird place where it's like, these people have had careers, but this movie was just the movie that made me go. I know who you are now. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I think um, it may have been Dunkirk was like the first movie that I really enjoyed Barry yes. Keegan in. And I yes. thought his, his, you know, his role was very small, but it had a really big impact on the film. After that, I saw the killing of a sacred deer, which I love that movie. It's, I don't know if I enjoyed it. It's one of those movies where it's like, it's really, I can't explain what's good about it. You just have to see it, but he's great in that movie. Um, and I and I liked him in Eternals too, um, but I think I just I like him when he pops up, and he's got a small yeah. role in this one, but the role that he does have again has he, he his performance always adds something to every film that he's in. Tor not enough, Tor not enough. <laughs> like I love his, his line delivery is fabulous yes. in this movie. Oh yeah, no. So I know sometimes you like to ask if, you know, if we just kind of want to go through the movie, if we want to hit like favorite scenes, but I feel like this movie to truly understand it and digest it, you really kind of have to like walk through the movie. Okay. Like go for it. uh, Because this is a movie that I saw twice in theaters on opening weekend. Wow. Like, okay. That's awesome. I went, I went Friday night, like, cause like I said, I was hotly anticipating this movie. 
and I saw the movie. And it's one of those movies that's like, this is incredible. This is visually incredible. The cinematography is amazing. The music is transcendent. And then you get to the end of the movie and you're like, I still don't think I know exactly what happened all happened in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I have that same feeling. I, But I also think it's open-ended. I think it's open to interpretation. And it's almost Very like much so. Every time you yes. see it, you might see it a little bit different, which is really fun. Yeah, so so prepping for this, so prepping for this podcast, this is my third time watching it. Nice. And and I'm still like and I've read a few more translations of the poem. I've read some scholarly introductions that kind of fill me into like some context with the poem that makes me like every time I read a different version of the poem, I'm watching the movie differently. It's 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 one of those movies that you just go, you go all in. Like, yeah, and you're ready. Like, I am, I am crying. There's not some sort of director's commentary out there. It's like, I want it so badly because I was like, Lowry, talk to me. I remember the (laughs) second we saw it going home and looking up all those, like, what did it all mean? I love watching those kind of breakdowns on YouTube of, you know, every Easter egg, every, every interpretation and stuff like that. So definitely watched a lot of that when I saw the film first. Well, here's something that blew my mind when I heard David Lowry explain it. So that, you know, that opening scene, like before we even get to um, Gawain, where there's that house that's randomly on fire. Oh yeah. And then it like, it, it's, it's doing what I almost call like the a 24 editing where it's like image credits different image slightly different it's yeah, it's almost like, those, like almost of like midsummer or like you know other films like that where they've kind of show you something really shocking and then you almost forget about it yes until you see it again and you're like oh yeah <laughs> well if for anyone who, who who maybe doesn't remember it like there's this this weird scene where you just basically see this house burning down and then eventually uh, this guy brings this woman, puts her on a horse, draws a sword, and they kind of run off. Mm. And if you watch the credits, they're actually named Helen and Paris because the poem starts off talking about the fall of Troy and and about how the Trojan War spread this and basically how it's the beginning of like all of our the poet talks about how it's basically the beginning of all like our stories and our heroes. Mm -hmm. And so Lowry wanted to film a scene that had to be set in Camelot, but that would evoke, you know, the idea of, Oh, here's a guy who sets fire to a place and then runs off with the girl. And Mm. you actually hear the farmers yell, Helen, if you listen really carefully. And so that's supposed to be like Paris running off with Helen to Troy. That, oh, that's wow. what that symbolically represents the beginning of the movie because that's how the poem starts. Yeah, I would have completely missed that. So thank you. And I need to read this poem, clearly. <laughs> it, it You can read it in an afternoon. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of funny because, you know, you're watching it through the window of the whorehouse. Mm-hmm. And it pans down to Gawain sleeping. And Lowry said the idea was... It's like, it's it's like Gawain's having a dream because it's right oh. there adjacent to him. So once again, he's visually trying to represent this is a dream of like, of of heroes 
know, men running off with the ladies and drawing their swords and going into battle and and that these would be the things that Gawain would be dreaming of. Mm-hmm. Because unlike the actual poem and unlike the actual Arthurian myth in this movie, Gawain's not a knight yet. Yeah, he's kind of a degenerate. <laughs> I, I've kind of referred to him like the failure to launch knight. Yeah, he's very... Yeah, all he's doing is getting drunk and sleeping around, and he's not really, he doesn't have any focus yet. And he still lives with his mom. Yep. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> and he's non-committal la- to his girlfriend, you know, because she's um, because she's a sex worker, and, you know, that's going to come up later as well. But yeah. Yes, it will. Um, which was funny because that was very intentional on David Lowry's part. The idea of this story is basically mom giving you the helpful nudge to get out of the house. <laughs> yeah, push you out of the nest. <laughs> exactly. Lowry said that he actually didn't leave home till he was 26. So he yeah, had a mother who gave that. him a very <laughs> – he had a mom who gave him a very helpful push out the door. And he, it definitely is baked into this movie. And I love that I like felt that when I watched the movie. And then to hear Lowry like confirm it, I was like – Yes. It's like, I'm smart. I can watch movies. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like that's very relatable these days. I mean, you know, the way that things are, people are leaving home later and later for a variety of reasons. Um, And I think the movie kind of does a good job of echoing that because he and his mom aren't in the greatest of positions, right? I mean, they're not, I think, I think that's part of his failure to launch is that he's not, his life isn't in his mind. His life's not going to like end up the way that he hopes. It it does end up doing that, but not without the big push from his mom and not without her sort of operating behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, this is where the the movie is different from the poem in that in the legend, Gawain's mom is more. Uh, Arthur has two sisters, two half sisters in the mm-hmm. original legend, Morgals and Morgan Le Fay, and. The entire adventure with the Green Knight in the poem is a plot by Morgan Le Fay. When Lowry decided to make this kind of a, you know, leaving the nest type of story, he did what a lot of people do. And it's not the first time this has been done in any kind of Arthurian movie is they they just combine the two sisters into one. So his mother becomes the witch or the sorceress. And so that allowed, instead of this being a really convoluted plot, which the poem makes it out to be, it becomes a little bit more personal in that it's a mom trying to teach her son a lesson. Yeah. And I think also trying to improve his position in life because it feels like it's never explicitly said, but it doesn't seem like they're in the highest favor with the king in general. Like if this hadn't happened, I don't know if that he would have gotten noticed as much, right? So she's kind of, her her motives are good for him but still kind of murky which i like yeah i i also wonder if maybe the this is where the interpretation comes in i almost i personally feel like the reason that his position isn't as high is because he hasn't kicked himself in the pants to like Mm. go out and and like the reason he's not a knight is because he hasn't committed to being a knight yeah that's true although sometimes i felt like he he feels below the others for some reason other than that. But I, I'm, but again, that's like me sort of putting my own lens on it. So I don't know. I guess. He but, but once again, this movie points. allows for different lenses. Yeah. Cause I mean, he is the freaking nephew of the King. Yeah. Like, it's, 
It's like, why is he so, so unmotivated? <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and is it because he, you know, literally his mom is the king's sister. Yeah. You know, if he doesn't have an heir, which obviously in this interpretation, he does. Arthur doesn't have an heir because, man, they made Arthur and Guinevere really old in this movie. Well, and ill. Yes. Like, like they're basically dying the entire movie. And it, it's sort of apparent in the beginning but as the movie wears on they're getting sicker and sicker and sicker so you you start to see why the king becomes so attached to to, to gowan yeah because he's the he'd be the heir yeah so it's it's really interesting i also liked how when it kind of does the the title sequence in the movie when he's you know on his way basically to christmas and camelot you know that the the title Sir Gawain shows up in like all those different kind of fonts. Oh yeah, yeah. And I don't know, like I thought I even had today was is that kind of like because this poem has been translated so many different times because it's originally written in Middle English. Like this poem, it was originally written in the same form of English that the Canterbury Tales was written in. Ooh, so those those were tough. I took a Canterbury Tales class. And I struggled. <laughs> You're right. I didn't know what I was just... signing up for. And then when I got there, I was like, oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, yeah. So, that, I mean, that's why you've got to find a really good translation. And you can find yeah. prose translations or you can find translations in verse. So you're reading, you're still reading it like a poem. But uh, I, I don't know. I It was just a thought that occurred to me because I feel like, once again, this movie allows for you to kind of, you know, look at it in different ways. I also think it's funny that the movie still calls it Sir Gawain, even though he's not a sir. He's not a knight. Oh, true. A point that gets a point that gets made repeatedly throughout this movie. That's true. That he's not a knight. He even has a line where he says, "When one of the sex workers says, you know, aren't you a knight yet?'" and he goes, "I still have time." <laughs> like, I'm like, "There's that failure to launch mentality yeah, right there." Not getting any younger. Nah. Um, really cool behind the scenes thing. So the shot. In because I also love how this movie is divided up like into like chapters. Yeah. And, they, and you get the and you get those little title cards. So when we're in the Christmas game chapter, where we're basically at the round table having Christmas dinner, there's this wide shot when Arthur is like giving his speech to the knights. There's a mat that's a matte painting. Oh yeah, that, I did see this behind the scenes thing. Like yeah. on YouTube. Lowry's brother painted it. That's awesome. Because he because as he was setting up the shot, he realized he couldn't get the shot as wide as he wanted. So he got his brother to paint a matte painting to make it wider. Which again feels like an homage to older cinema. Exactly. Yeah. So I I thought that was a cool detail because I everything about this movie I love. I mean, the costumes are amazing the set design is gorgeous the sound design yeah like, i love the way the, the green knight looks and sounds oh especially like when he moves his head and it yes. just sounds like you know cracking wood yeah oh, i was like so not prepared amazing. to see him and i because i think you kind of see him real quick in the trailers but th they do such a good job of making him like i don't know how to put it like almost frightening like yes. he just he seems real like i just i thought he looked so good yeah, and so that was that was really really cool. And like I said, this is this is that scene where you're like, here's all this Arthurian iconography, but 
you better just know what it is because yeah. we ain't going to explain anything to you. Like, like when Merlin shows up, I'm like, dude, that's Merlin. Cause, <laughs> cause he basically just gets a scene. He just gets like a moment where he like shakes his head at Arthur when the green knight walks in. It's like, oh, okay, cool. That's, that's Merlin. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, yeah. No dialogue, just old guy with a really long beard and some druid looking symbols tattooed under his eyes. Okay, cool. I guess just I maybe like an acknowledgement of magic exists and the, maybe to set the tone for us to be like, oh, okay, they're surprise but not too surprised because they're like aware magic is a thing <laughs> right so i'm kind of curious how did you interpret like when i'm gonna just i mean mother when mother and her three um in her in, in the three sisters yeah. basically are like i i interpret they're they're casting the spell i guess to to call upon the green knight. Like, how do you interpret that whole back and forth scene right there at Christmas dinner? Again, it's where I'm not sure about her motives. Like I, I kind of thought to me, I thought she was trying to secure a place for her son, but also it's like an extremely dangerous way of doing it and sort of manipulative of the situation because and and I don't know, and somewhat almost evil. I don't know. That's how I that's how I felt about it. Right, because because you get the sense that this is like black magic. Yeah. Like you know, the idea that she's a witch. Like we're not we're not Merlin here. We're like we're doing this the bad way. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when he shows up and the way that I, I guess like the presence he has and the way that people are sort of responding to him made me feel like, you know, like this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But predictably, also, she knows how her son's going to respond to it. So I guess to her, it was like worth the risk. But I don't know. Oh, or did she? Or was she hoping for a different outcome? Like mm. was she? Because I feel like the way I interpret this movie is that it is it is him being tested over and over again. Lowry has said that this is a deconstruction of the hero's journey. Mm. Like it follows the idea of a quest. It follows the idea of the hero's journey. But our hero is repeatedly unheroic the entire yeah, time. Yeah, he makes a lot of bad choices, starting with his very first one, which is like the dumbest thing he could have possibly done. <laughs> well, it's because he wasn't listening. Yeah. It's like the Green Knight sets up the terms. And Arthur even says, remember, it's just a game. And what does he go to? He goes and chops the dude's head off. It's like, yeah, you don't realize what's going to happen you do in that? a year. <laughs> I know, right? It's like if you just nicked him, then in a year, all you would get is a nick. Like these are the rules. Yeah, I and... guess he couldn't help but like want to impress everybody, and it was such an yes. easy kill, and it was so dishonorable uh, because you know he literally like basically lends him his neck, and just everything about it is so cowardly. Um, even though he's kind of seeing it as heroic. Right. Cause he's there, you know, he's holding Excalibur. It's like, it, here's a, He gets to slay the monster, but he does it in the worst way possible. Yeah. It's and like, it, it's, there's no honor in the way that he does it. So you're like, Oh, that's, that's bad. He's going to kill you now <laughs> in a year. Yeah. In a year. And, and I feel like that, and I feel like this movie is set up like, I try to interpret how much I think mother is manipulating every situation that he 
encounters throughout this movie. Okay, like, so you feel like she's like testing him. Yes. Okay. That's that's how I interpret it. Because we get the next section, which is a two quick year. I love the Punch and Judy show, like the puppet thing. Yes. Like, <laughs> what, what a great way to um what a great way to symbolize passage of time. Yeah, we and go it's got that it. like literal wheel of time, that kind of medieval yes! concept. Yeah. I love it. Uh, this is actually where we get to the scene that would have been cut out, uh, completely cut out uh, in the original edit. The scene with Gawain and Isol by the river. That would have been completely removed. Like he put oh, that wow. back in with the new edit. And I couldn't imagine this film not having that scene. Yeah, I agree. Huh. That's interesting. Uh so, you know, then he, he's leaving. Cam- we get to the journey out section. He's riding away from Camelot. I love how long that shot lingers of him just riding away from Camelot. Mm-hmm. You know, and this whole thing was shot in Ireland. So this is like some great Irish, you know, landscape. Yeah, it all look looks at. like that already. So <laughs> I, know. Uh, I love it when he has the bell that he gets because I'm sorry. I did think of Polar Express. <laughs> <laughs> the bell. Yes. So, so I was like, "Oh, there's such a meta connection here with I love that movie." <laughs> uh, and you already talked about the crossroads, uh, which I love that story. Uh, it means so much more. And then this is also where we get introduced to the fox. Yes. Which okay. What was your interpretation of this fox? Like we were trying to decide watching it. Like, is this his mother in fox form, or is it just a familiar? You know, in a lot of medieval stories or like in D D or something you know fantasy stuff there's usually like a little animal friend what, how do you interpret this fox this time around i interpreted it as his mother yeah because like, i just felt like the fox kept trying to be like do this instead and he was like nope <laughs> i'm gonna do the dumbest thing yeah really now i read in one of my and and i and i, I got so harried trying to get ready for recording that there is actually in medieval literature the fox represents something on its own because later on when we get to the lord's manor there's supposed to be three animals that he kills when he goes hunting it's like like a stag a boar and a fox Mm. and in medieval literature all three of those animals represent actually have like they were symbolic of something back in the day okay okay that makes sense i do feel like you see a lot of foxes medieval stuff but but this time around i really felt like the fox was his mother yeah that's that's how i interpreted it too so and 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 when we get to the section of a kindness when barry keegan shows up this is where you start to see the motifs that repeat itself of how gawain keeps on screwing up because the this is the first time that someone says sir knight Mm-hmm. Or are you a knight? And what does he not do? He does not correct them. He also doesn't fairly compensate or really even care about Barry Keegan's character situation. Like, I felt like there was a thing, too, of like, you know, he's he's part of a royal family. He's sort of in a high castle above everybody else. And then he's put in this situation where he could be very empathetic and helpful to someone who's literally helping him. And he doesn't and that's why he gets punished i felt like 
Exactly, because in each of these chapters, I feel like each of these, the way I interpret is his mom has set up each test and each test is testing a knightly virtue. Yes. Yeah. And he fails the test. So like this one is, I I would feel like this is charity. Yeah. He should be helping someone that clearly lost everything. And instead he sort of takes advantage of him and gives him very little. Exactly. And then he gets what's coming to him as a result. (laughs) You can't really feel sorry for him. You're like, well, (laughs) he's got a point. He's got a point. So I feel like with the Barry Keegan character, that was the first time you see him not denying that he's a knight. Mm -hmm. And then it shows a lack of charity, which is one of the knightly virtues. And then when you get a meeting with St. Winifred, uh, once again, she says a knight should know better. Um, I said this was chivalry. Chivalry. Okay. Because oh wait, I'm chipping ahead. You're right. You're chipping. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Chivalry. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of the other lady. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Um, because this one, once again, he doesn't deny not being a knight because she says a knight should know better, and he doesn't correct her and say that he's not a knight. Mm -hmm. Once again, he just lets everyone assume he's a knight, and then when she asks him to jump into the spring to find her head, what does he do? He asks for payment. No, oh, a knight would- that killed me when he did that. I was like, "No, come on, <laughs> no, it's so selfish." And exactly. In a, a true knight would just see a lady in need and would just help. Like right. that's just you. You just did it because it's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's like part of your branding. <laughs> yeah. So when he actually does get her head and returns it to her. I feel like he kind of does get rewarded because the yeah. fox shows up again and he, the axe gets returned to him. Right. So he like, it took him a while to get there, but he eventually did the right thing. And it was just cool visually, like the ghost stuff and the skeleton. And I don't know, it was really fun. I noticed when he puts the head in the, into the the pillow of the dead body, like it suddenly becomes daylight and the light's shining in. It's very like, oh, like you can almost yeah. imagine like the angels singing. And it's, you know, it's like, okay, you did good, kid. You did good. Like, I felt like that's what that moment kind of represented. Like, mm-hmm. at least that's how I've interpreted no, it. No, I agree. I think he, you're you're touched by the fact that he does the right thing in that situation. Even if he, mm-hmm. it took him a while to get there, it, it seems like he's growing as a character. Now, this next section called an interlude is where my brain goes, I'm still trying to figure this one out. <laughs> I agree. Because, you know, this is the giants and the cool, like, 180 degree, like, the camera tilt coral. So cool. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> they look so crazy. I've never seen anything like that. I love how they look. And I'm still, like, I sometimes wonder, and I'm really curious about you, what's your interpretation of this? Because this is, like, the weirdest psychedelic portion of the film. And I'm still trying to figure out what I think it means. I don't know. I kept trying to like look at pictures of the giants. Like, did they look like people in his life? Like, yeah, I'm not really sure how to interpret that part. Yeah. The closest I've come is like, I feel like it's supposed to be teaching him about his insignificance. Mm. Like, you're like, what are you compared to that? But I don't, but I don't know if there's enough, if there's enough quote proof in the film to back up that interpretation which is why this entire section is just 
weird. Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> but yet when he gets to the manor house at the end of the section, I think it's really interesting that when he's laying in that weird green bed, by the way, mm-hmm. and and you oh, see that night, vision of bed. his okay. green bed. All right. There's a lot of green, especially <laughs> when we get to this point, which is interesting because actually in the original poem, spoiler alert, the Lord is the green knight. I was going to ask that. Because I felt like, well, in, I went and looked, and no, it's the guy from that movie, The Witch. Um, yes. Yeah. But, and I, I love his performance as a Green Knight, but there were times I was like, is the Green Knight actually Arthur? Is he actually, you know, uh, the Lord? Like, is does he represent someone else or him somehow in the future? You know, like, I wondered who he was supposed to be, but. Yeah. In the poem, it is the Lord. Okay. Because in the poem, the lady is Morgan Le Fay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, which got really weird when you saw this movie. Yeah, that <laughs> and, would be less appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it even more appropriate? Because think about who, I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. This mo- th- th- This section called An Exchange of Winnings. Yeah. I got a little comfortable, Lisa. Not yeah, gonna lie. It's uh intense. And and that's the one that I was talking about where I felt like maybe chastity was supposed to be his lesson here. Chastity um, or fidelity. Yeah, you know? because yeah, because he's not faithful to his girlfriend. In fact, he can't wait to dump her and well, we'll we'll talk about that later. But like, you know, if given a better opportunity, I feel I feel like in the beginning, him with with her was sort of like she was at his level and he was at the lowest point in his life. And in this part, it's almost like if he could get even just a little bit above, he's going to shoot for that instead and not really thank and appreciate the people that care about him, no matter what state he's in. Instead, he wants to be above his station. Right. And the fact that the lady is played by Alicia Vikander, Mm -hmm. his girlfriend is also played by Alicia Vikander. Right. But, but, but as, as Isil, she's got, she's got some makeup prosthetics on her to make her like, make her nose a little bit wider, make her cheeks a little bit, you know, it, it, she doesn't have like that porcelain statue look. Yeah, that she typically does. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, and she doesn't look regal and royal, which is what he's aiming for, right? Because he wants to be a knight. He wants to be a knight, right? So, so I saw the lady as his vision of his lover. If she was quote proper, like yeah, that's why I wrote was, my like, notes. Good enough, yeah, 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 good. That's yeah, and and because again, he probably wouldn't be able to marry her if he becomes a knight. It's like I don't think they're probably supposed to marry, you know, sex yeah. workers. And I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know yeah. for sure, but I doubt it, especially since they have all these virtues <laughs> and like. Also, another part of it, though, is like he wants something he can't have, like Essel, he can have. I mean, there's no yes. competition. But with this woman, it's like she's somebody else's wife. I mean, I think that even adds like a layer to it of like, it's almost not about her. It's about him. Mm-hmm. It's about him. Yeah. yeah. His ego. Yeah. And, and then also look at how the Lord and the lady like stroke his ego. Like, mm-hmm. going once again, he does it for the oh, uh, third time. He does not correct someone when they call him a knight because he's not a knight yet but yet he 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 continues to accept this fantasy that he's a knight when mm-hmm. he's not he, he he doesn't deserve to be a knight i that's what that's what his mom i i interpret that's what his mom's trying to teach him 
Yeah. Like, you yeah. have to earn this. Right. And he's done literally nothing to earn it. Yeah. So like, I think it's interesting that the old lady, uh, the, the, the lady's attendant, she wears a blindfold just like mother did when she was yeah. casting the green knight spell. That was weird. <laughs> that was really weird. Yeah. I was like, is she seeing him somehow? Yeah. We wondered about what that meant too. I almost wondered if she is, because there's the scene where it, when Gawain wakes up in the house, you see his mother and then it becomes the Lord. Mm. And then you see the old lady. And I almost am wondering, is the Lord, the lady and the old woman all avatars of mother? Mm. Like okay, I mother, can see in that. mother in three different forms. And also um, like Elizabeth Vikander gives him because he loses that green belt and then she gives him her green belt that she made. Exactly. But too. it's the same. But it's the same belt. Right. Yeah. And when you listen to that dialogue and she's like, I made this. Well, his mother made that. So because it got stolen by Barry Keegan Mm -hmm. back when he got his butt handed to him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also noticed that when um, the lady is sort of seducing him in the library and talking about wanting to paint his portrait, she she condescends on the bell gift that Isol gave him and even rips it off of him and he doesn't fight it yeah so it like, all felt like a test like do you are, would you really be true to the person you love and all that or not and it's like i guess he wouldn't if he if he saw a better opportunity mm-hmm. um did you pay a lot of attention to the red what i'm calling like the red green monologue that the lady gives when they're like around the fire oh yeah no i guess i didn't it's it's this weird discussion about red is life and lust and alive okay green is raw i like they say green is the color of the earth that's also the color of rot yeah of decay and she just talks about this whole cycle of you can be you can live it up you can have lust and love and all this but it will always get replaced by like the the earth will swallow it back up Mm, which is like sort of a metaphor for like the end of his journey (laughs) exactly the green knight and his imminent death that he's sort of like avoiding this whole film it's it's just it's really interesting and i also love the conversation the lord has because the lord asks him so you just do this one thing you just go meet the green knight and suddenly you're an honorable man and and going goes yes And and it's and I think it points out how how childish Gawain is that he thinks this is all it takes for me to be an honorable man. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it really exemplifies why he doesn't like deserve this yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then of course that leads to um, you know it, by the way it's called an exchange of winnings because in the poem the whole idea is that. The, the Lord tells him, whatever you get, you give to me. And actually in the poem, whenever he comes back with the animal, the Gawain actually in the poem does stay true. All he does is give the woman a kiss when the lady is um, in the poem, the lady is throwing herself at him. Like, <laughs> yeah. And this constantly. one, she's sort of more, like you said, almost like taunting him in some ways. Yeah. Especially when we get to the um, belt scene. Yeah. yeah which yeah. <laughs> that. That scene makes me so uncomfortable, but yet it's so important <laughs> yeah. because I feel like it's his mother shaming him. 
it's like it does seem shamey want... <laughs> it doesn't shame because like you want this belt so bad you ejaculate like yeah. that's how <laughs> badly you want something that's going to allow you to be safe and then as soon as she leaves the old woman with the blindfold shows up and it's like and like and it's like that's his mother like look at you like yeah you're there. no knight yeah yes and, and and i feel like that is like this just this monumental moment because even even the lady says you are when she looks at the the um the trying stuff. to figure out the best <laughs> the stuff yes um trying to be polite when it comes to this but <laughs> it's graphic goes, in the movie yeah it is very graphic in the movie uh but she even says you're no knight yeah, like, which ooh. it like wouldn't really fit in a lot of other movies, but because you know the time period that it's kind of set in and that like I said, chastity seems to be like one of the important virtues, you're like, oh, okay, that's that's why this is happening. Yeah, and it's and it's just like, wow, you really gave in. Like yeah. you, you gave in. I mean, here's I mean, it's Alicia Vikander in like a bearskin robe. Like <laughs> Yeah. It, it I mean it is it is built to be the ultimate like temptation. Test, yeah. Yes. And it works. And it's also and, and like, weird because he's not really doing anything. That also feels very childish somehow. Yes. Or immature. Like because they're not actually like, you know, having sex. So that makes it even like more pathetic and weird. <laughs> yes. Like thank you. It's yes, like I don't know I why, but it's agree. just even more like ugh. Um, so I, I think, um, yeah, that, that's a really good part to show, you know, just that he, yeah, he's desperate. (laughs) He's kind of desperate. Very, very desperate. Um, you know, we, it's interesting. I I feel like the next chapter title really leads me into one of my big questions I'm going to have at the end of this movie. Okay. And I've heard different interpretations and and I'm really going to be, I'm, I'm really excited to discuss it with you. Okay. Like, I want to know what you think, Lisa. But when we, but when we get to the section called a beheading at the green chapel, when he mm. sees the boat and the fox is like, listen, I feel like the fox, this is where I really started to think the fox was his mother. Yeah. When you, cause the fox is like, go home, live, you can live with the shame. Yeah. She's like, kind of like you, this didn't work out. Just go home. <laughs> you have effed up so badly I, this entire time. I Yeah. I think in a lot of ways. Even if it's not his mom and maybe it's just a familiar, but it's like, this is not, this isn't going well. And it wasn't really the vision that the mom had for him. So I think that's our first clue here. Like, hey, this has gone awry. Exactly. And he's still wearing the belt, which I then, so we've talked about a lack of charity, a lack of chivalry, a lack of fidelity or or chastity. And I feel like the belt ultimately says it's a lack of courage. Mm. You are a coward. Yeah. Like, you know what the rules of this game are. And you're wearing this belt that you've been promised is going to protect you from any and all harm. And the fox calls him out on it. Yeah. And I and I, and I love that. Because then he goes to the Green Chapel and he waits there for the night to wake up on Christmas Day. Because once again, this is a Christmas movie, folks. Let's, yeah. Let's, 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 <laughs> it, tis the season. And, you know, just like in the poem, when the knight goes to 
cut off his head because that's what Gawain did to him, he flinches. And that that actually does happen in the poem. Okay. Uh, but what's different is that then, and he's already taken the belt off in the poem by this point. Okay. Like that's like he, that that's not an issue. And then in, in the poem, the knight gives him a nick on the cheek as basically a, now you've learned your lesson. Now, you know, basically you'll have this scar to just remind you, you flinched. Bad on you. Mm. And, but, but because this movie is telling a different story, I think it's interesting that, like, he's still wearing the belt. Mm-hmm. And then you get this what you think is going to be the ending of the movie. And what you learn is like this alternate timeline vision of how absolutely crappy his life is going to turn out if he keeps going on this path. Yeah. I kind of interpret it as, so yeah, he, he imagines like, you know, that he becomes King and everything, but he's mean to Essel. He takes the kid away from her. Um, and raises it apart from her, marries somebody else. And anyway, ultimately everyone ends up hating him and then they, they want to kill him and that's how it ends. And I kind of interpreted that as he knows he's like a, a shitty person. And that if he, if he doesn't take off that sash, if he doesn't just meet his, um, his fate now, it's just, he's going to keep screwing up. That's kind of how I, I viewed it. Well, I'll tell you that's exactly what David Lowry says. <laughs> okay, it is. it's like he's Bec- he, he's he didn't grow enough. Okay, he failed, and he's going to continue to fail. And so, like one way to change his behavior is this moment, which may lead to his death, but it would still be better than him being like a a bad person for the rest of his life. Right. This grants him a sense of self awareness, and so when so when the vision's over, because he even pulls the sash off in the dream, and then his head falls off. Yes, you know. It, which I think is great because it's like, that's him realizing, oh, that's the point. Yeah. It's like, it's like it finally clicked. It took all of this for it to click. And so he stops the night again, less panicky so that he can take the belt off. And then he says, I'm ready. And I truly believe that he's willing to take his medicine as it were. Yeah. I think he's ready to to die because he's kind of like, I'm realizing now that all these like bad decisions I make, they lead to real consequences. I, mm-hmm. I think maybe before his journey, he didn't see how his behavior impacted his life, but now he does. And so he's like, I'm going to continue to make all these bad decisions. So what's the difference? Do I live a really long time making bad decisions or do I do the right thing now? Yeah. Cause in the dark vision, in the dark future vision, you know, I, I noticed he's wearing the belt the entire time. Like yeah. even when he has. Well, yeah, smart, his- right. Cause he's, he knows what his fate should have been. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and it's just it's just there constantly and they make a point of showing that he's wearing it. And so that's when he finally takes it off. You're like, this is kind of the hero's journey part where it's like. You finally became the hero. Finally, mm-hmm. it just took you literally to the very end yeah. to get there. And and then the knight kneels down and like draws his finger across his throat and goes. Off with your head, Sir Knight. <laughs> and then the movie ends, which was very abrupt to me the first time I watched it. Um, but I have a different interpretation now that I've seen it a couple more times. Okay. What did I want to hear what you think? 
I think it could go either way. I feel like him just accepting his death would have been enough to to pass the test. Or maybe he does get beheaded. Yeah, I know. I, I had a co-worker who told me in an interview he heard that Lowry said he does get beheaded. Mm. But I've never seen that interview. Uh, yeah, so I haven't seen that. Um, I haven't seen that. And honestly, I would hate for the honestly, I would hate for Lowry to actually come out and say that because. Yeah, it's like, agreed. I like, <laughs> it's like I like an big if you're going to give me an ambiguous ending. Then just stick with it. Yeah, <laughs> stick with ambiguous ending. Uh, because the way that the knight smiles and like uh, draws his finger across his throat and says off with your head, it's like he's being playful with him. Yeah. Almost like the way in the original poem, the knight does just like give him like a paper cut across his cheek with his axe as a, you know, learn your lesson, son. I think it would have and- been less, less uh impactful or less satisfying if if he did that in the movie and it is better to hard cut away yeah and then he, when he, and he even calls him a knight so it's mm-hmm. almost like you have you have now earned being a knight like the green knight has said sir knight and, and so i feel like his journey has been to become a knight in this movie and the green knight himself calls him a knight at the end but I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, it could go either way, and I'd be perfectly happy with it going either way. I just, I love it how I've just had two different ideas. You know, it, this is one of those movies you can watch the ending multiple times and feel mm-hmm. differently each time you watch it. Yeah, I was convinced before I saw this movie that it was going to end with him being the Green Knight somehow. <laughs> just not having read the poem or anything, I thought, oh, that would be like, then he's going to have to test someone else or something. But um, yeah, like the way it ended. Yeah, and I, I kind of I kind of think he let him live, but at the same time it's better for us not to know. Mm-hmm. Or just to interpret as we yeah, as, as we, we see, see fit, fit as the yeah. audience. Yeah. Um did you know there's an end credit scene? Uh no. <laughs> How did yeah. I miss that? <laughs> uh if you if you watch all the way to the end of the credits, there is a end credit scene of a little girl, probably about six or seven, crawling around. And she and and the crown, you know, the king's crown is there on the floor, and she just kind of picks it up and puts it on her head, and that's the end of the movie. Okay, how do you interpret that? Okay, I interpret <laughs> that. If I go with the interpretation that uh, Gawain lived, and then he went home. And he had a daughter. Right, because he has with, a daughter in the vision. Yeah. But he but he has a son with Isol. Oh, that's he true. Has a, mm-hmm. He has a daughter with the woman who also plays Winifred. Mm-hmm. I was almost like his future has oh, been yeah, changed. That girl from uh isn't she in that Marvel show? Yeah, yeah. Uh so that's how I interpret that. But once again, like I don't know. I just feel like that because it's a girl and not the boy. It's like, mm. well, did he go home? Did he did he learn his lesson? And so even the kid he had was different. And and she's putting the crown on, and the crown's laying around. So, you know, is does that, you know, does that mean that the future is now changed? I I don't know. I think it's it's in, it's also interesting for a movie like this to have an in credit scene. Like these are not yeah, the kind of movies that have in credit. 
yeah, these are not the kind of movies that have in credit scenes. And I like that this one makes me like it, it, it adds interpretation. Like a 24 has a great shop and a 24 does a lot of product. I really hope they release a screenplay to this movie. Cause I will Ooh. buy it in a, in a New York minute. It's so that I can like read what Lowry actually wrote in the script. Yes. And I have to say really fast, Aaron Kellyman, the who plays Winifred is the girl from uh, the Falcon and the winter soldier and star Wars. So I just, okay. I I was like, okay, she looks really familiar outside the movie. And I was like, oh yeah, maybe I knew that when I was watching it, but I, I forgot. Well, I, I, I have really dug into this movie. This movie really helped me kind of start a deep dive into other a 24 movies. Oh, I love a 24 so much. I have, I have, I have, I have, I have fallen down the rabbit hole. (laughs) It's like whatever they make. I'm like, yep, I'll see it. I've learned I'm more like if they do, especially if they do science, all their science fiction movies are fabulous. And I want them to do more fantasy movies after me seeing. Well, especially because we've got so much science fiction at this point. It's kind of, it would be a little refreshing. Yeah. But you know, I, you know, Ex Machina, High Life, um, Under the Skin, like all these movies have been like, oh, I'm down. I'm down for this. But I, I have really loved this. Um, I'm getting, I pre-ordered it. I'm getting the soundtrack to Green Knight on vinyl. Oh, nice. And Yeah. And I, I went really deep. Uh, they only offered like 400 of them and I grabbed one. Uh, they're, they're, they sold reproductions of Gawain's sword. Interesting. And wow. Yeah, you really have fallen down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I love, like, I'm a huge King Arthur buff. I, uh, my senior thesis in high school for my, I had to write a 3,500 to 4,000 word essay to graduate. And my essay was on Arthur on on the Arthurian legend. So this movie was like in my wheelhouse to start with, and it exceeded my expectations. So like, I am so into this so i feel like once again when i talk about checking boxes not only do i check a christmas movie box i check a fantasy movie box that's also an arthur movie technically and then you know it's just this movie was made for me and the way that film twitter and my film friends have embraced this movie as much as i have and how many top 10 lists yes. i'm seeing oh of for sure one have this on it yeah, it's Even very gratifying, I'm sure. <laughs> very like, gratifying. Like, I, was I was on like, to something with this one. <laughs> I was there from day one and I got it. Yeah, I saw, I think we saw this in theaters, like when it came out, so. Uh, so I was, I was so excited. And then, you know, there's special features on the Blu-ray 4K disc, but there's also different special features that are exclusive to the iTunes Apple version you can buy. And I just am ready to start watching all of them. Nice. Nice. I, I love it when that happens, when you find like a new thing that's that satisfying. And it, and it goes with this whole idea of, I love that movie that it's like, I want to dig deep. Yes. I want to, I want to (laughs) breathe this movie in. And I am so glad that I had the opportunity to come back and talk about it with you because. Oh, for sure. Anytime. This is a movie that demands that you talk to somebody. I I agree. I know. I've, I've, I've thought of people in my life that I want them to see it just so we can talk about it. (laughs) So completely agree. Uh, that brings me to my last couple of questions. Uh, why why did you fall in so deep I, I think you already kind of explained it but if, if you had to sum it up in a sentence like 
why are you down this rabbit hole? <laughs> because on a technical level, it is it, I, it, it, it achieves a level of perfection in film for me. Like yeah. when I talked about costume, music, cinematography, writing, it's like it's all there. Yeah, acting, uh, everything. Everything. Everything is there. And it communicates so much visually that it forces interpretation from the audience. Mm -hmm. Like you are going to have questions that is going to make you want to rewatch this movie. And like I said, I saw it on a Friday night. I think I went back and saw it on a Monday. It's like, I, I, I couldn't get back to the theater fast enough to watch the movie again, because it made me have questions that I knew that if I watched the movie again, I would make more answers for myself. And I love movies that do that. Yeah. 100% agree. And and how do you pitch this to someone that's thinking about watching The Green Knight? Um, if you love fantasy, indie, filmmaking on a budget, like, like this, but this movie doesn't, it feels indie, but it doesn't look indie. But it's also, it's an A24 movie that's a sword in sorcery movie that's going to make you think yeah there's my there's my elevator pitch yeah i think it's everything you said like if, if you love a really good drama and, and you want to see sort of like a modern take on fantasy too uh, those are the only other two things i would add but yeah everything you said <laughs> um so scott thank you so much again uh for making time to be on the show i really really appreciate you coming on where can people find you well, you can find me on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can find my podcast, the DC Squadcast, wherever podcasts can be found. I mean, if you're listening to this show, probably the exact same player. Just type in <laughs> DC Squadcast. You'll find us. We're on Vero, Facebook, YouTube, and you can find the entire network of shows at squadcastmedia.com. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. We are a fan-supported network, and we have over 400 pieces of exclusive content over on our Patreon. Uh, the latest piece that you can get is my co-host Tim and I uh, discuss Ridley Scott's 1979 classic, Alien. And we nice. are going to launch into a complete journey through the Alien franchise. Oh, wow. <laughs> only, only on Patreon. Great, great. Well, that's awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming on and hope to have you back soon. I would love to. <laughs>